Hi guys, thank you for joining us on this second episode of Troped Out, brought to you by Typo Productions. I am Emma C. Wells. With me is EJ Winstrom, and today we are talking with rom-com and women's fiction author Anna E. Collins. Anna is a Seattle area author who writes stories about the lives and loves of women. Once upon a time, she was a teacher in Sweden, but one American husband, two children, and two international moves later, she realized she had stories to tell and picked up the pen. When not writing, reading, or raising humans, she likes to bake, draw, hang out with her, and hang out with her eternal sidekick, a mini golden doodle named Archie, who is a very good boy. And if you want to see Archie, you can check out Anna's uh, Instagram. <laughs> he makes many appearances on there, and it is definitely worth the look. So, Anna, I'm so glad you uh, are joining us on the podcast today. Yeah, thanks for having me. Your book actually released yesterday, which was January mm -hmm. 4th, 2022. It's your yep. debut, and it is called... Love at First Spite. Love at First Spite. Why don't you tell us a little bit about it? Yeah, so Love at First Spite is a rom-com. Um, it has the kind of a grump and sunshine trope, revenge on an ex... Um, lots of shenanigans with the revenge plot. It follows Danny, who is jilted by her fiancé and decides that he cannot get away with this. And so she buys the plot of land next to his house together with her cousin and her landlady and decides to put up an Airbnb to block her ex's view and ruin his day. And to do this, she needs to team up with an architect to drop the house. And the only one available is the stoic grump in her office. She works at a home builder's office. And um, things happen. Of course, it's the hunky architect. He's the only one available. I'm like right, super right. excited. And a revenge, like a revenge plot is always, I find, great fodder. For any genre, but especially a rom-com, because there's just, you can mine for gold there. This, this story, besides the romance uh, aspect of it, which that's what it is, it kind of centers around this, the spite house. Where did that idea come from? Um, so I, I, I always keep a list of ideas on my phone, just random things I see or hear or read that strike me as interesting concepts. And so when... 2020, like I, I had written mostly women's fiction before and in 2020 we were all quarantined and I kind of wanted to write something that was a little lighter so I was brainstorming ideas for a rom-com and I was looking through my list of ideas and the only thing it said was spite house, someone builds a house to get revenge and that was kind of, um, and I, it, it came originally from an article I read somewhere about, because um, the spite house is not my idea, like it's not the book is, but there are spite houses in the world. People have actually done this. You can Google spite house and it is very interesting. Like some yeah. of these real life spite houses that people have <laughs> built on these tiny little parcels of land right. just to block views. <laughs> um, so the concept, wasn't, the concept wasn't mine. It was just, you know, the, the idea in this article that people would take their pettiness and their need for revenge that far to actually put up a structure. It was just, it's just so out there, like you know? Long-term commitment to your hate. Yes, like so, for sure. Such a long you know? period of time to build a house. <laughs> well, enough time to fall in love. <laughs> <laughs> right. Yes. 
so that's where it came from. It was, you know, anchored in reality, but then with a lot of creative freedom. <laughs> I love it. And it's very original. I personally can't think off the top of my head, not just in this genre, but really in any romance niche or really, I, I don't know about a Spite House book. Like I remember, so me and Anna actually know each other through just the writing community. And I remember her talking about this and I remember Googling Spite House. And once you know that it's a thing and listeners, you really need to go online and look at these pictures. It's kind of amazing that someone else like, it's really great you had this idea and it was fresh and it was new, but it's also very amazing that it was fresh and new because that is... Right, because it's a thing. <laughs> such a petty thing. Like, right. it's perfect for fiction. I mean, there are so many stories around the world. There are several in the U.S. There's one here right in Seattle. And often it's like a divorce. Then someone gets the land and the other person gets the house. And, you know, then they put up an extra house to block. I mean, it, it is kind of the same thing and it, because it's all born from spite. So, um, or brothers who, you know, they got to share the inheritance, but they didn't like that the other person got the better plot of land. So they're going to ruin it somewhere. I mean, there are so many stories like this and it's just amazing, I think. And for me, it was, you know, when you read the stories about these houses, it's all about what caused them to be built, but the stories rarely follow what happened afterwards? You know, did the parties make up? Did they come to an agreement? You know, and so so that's where I I just made up what happened after, I guess. You know, what what would happen if you start because it is a long term commitment to revenge and at some point you might have to move on. <laughs> One would hope. So tell us in your world, in Anna E. Collins's book, what has driven her to this point to where she is gonna like devote her time and her money to not only fall for this hunky architect, but to build this house. Like, it's like, like you guys said, like that is a long-term, that is some long-term pain. <laughs> so yeah. what has driven her to this point? And also this is one of the, my favorite openings in a book ever, like first pages, <laughs> first lines. It's so great. I mean, so she's been with this guy, Sam. Um, Danny's the main character, Danielle. She's been with her her boyfriend or her fiancé, Sam, for a long time, several years, like three, four years. And he's shown some tendencies to maybe not be the best listener. But And she moved to the Seattle area to be with him. They were going to buy this big house together. He wanted the big house with a great view. She wanted something smaller, but she was like, fine. And she has saved up a lot of money to... Um, because it's, it's important to her that they buy the house together. Her parents don't have the best relationship, so it's important to her that her relationship starts out right. And so she's made, made it clear to him that, you know, she wants them to buy the house together. She also wants to put an offer on a small, undeveloped plot of land right next to the house, because she um, she's an interior designer, and she does crafting and stuff on the side, and she wants to have a little studio so she can do, like, fabric dyeing and stuff. And then... Sam goes and buys the house and he puts it in his name only and he does not offer on the plot of land. So she's already upset with him um, about, you know, they've had a big fight. She has found the deed to the house and she's kind of confronting him and, he, and he's saying, you know, you should consider this a wedding present. And her response is basically like, how can it be a present when it's not mine? So she's already upset with him. They have a big fight. He goes out and shortly after that his friend's Instagram feed blows up with pictures from their night out where 
Sam is getting a little too close to the realtor that sold him the house. So, um, so that was like one strike, you know, fool me once and all that. So that's when she breaks off the engagement. And so it stings in her eyes that she is now living on her cousin's couch. Um, she doesn't really know anyone. She moved to the area for him. And he seems to be moving on just fine and is seen with this realtor again, even though he swears that there's nothing between them. And so she is having a hard time letting this slide because her life is greatly impacted and his doesn't really seem to be. And so she wants him to feel some of the pain of this break <laughs> as well. Yeah, can't have that. He can't just go on without any interruption. Psh. Right. right. Living Love in it. her dream house. <laughs> <laughs> right. Oh, my God. And, you know, this plot of land is still available since he didn't offer on it. So what else are you going to do? You have right. you have to build a spite house at this point. Yeah. Like, there's no other to. alternative. So mm-hmm. you said you listed the um, tropes in this book, and you said one of them was grumpy and sunshine. So yeah. in this book, you want to tell us kind of, like, who's who and, like, what draws you to that? So, so Danny... I mean, honestly, I didn't really know about the Grump Sunshine trope when I wrote this book. That's how other people have described it since. So I'm realizing that's what it is. But I tend to like a grumpy hero who kind of, you know, is secretly soft. And so Danny, even though she's hell-bent on revenge in this book, she is sort of the sunshiny one. She's dynamic and creative and has lots of ideas about things. Um, And uh, she needs an architect to draw up the you know, the blueprints for this spite house they're going to build. And the only person available is Wyatt Montego, who is the, one of the architects at the house building firm where she works. And he, nobody likes him. He is gruff and kind of like a know-it-all. He talks over people, keeps to himself, doesn't really know how to socialize. So she has a lot. And when Danny started at this firm, he was the only one who didn't welcome her. Like he was the only one who didn't bother saying hello when they did the tour of the company. So she has a lot of preconceived notions about who he is and has kind of avoided him as much as possible. They are now since a few weeks when the book opens on the same general team, but um, she hasn't worked directly with him and she would like to keep it that way. But he is the only person available. He overhears her trying to convince another architect to do the job but it's kind of on the sly right it's not an official job it's kind of mm, uncouth so um her friend turns it down and Wyatt overhears and to everyone's surprise he offers to help (laughs) he may or may not have ulterior motives love it (laughs) and so yeah and so they start working together and she finds out that maybe she wasn't entirely right about him what is it about a grumpy guy? Do you watch Ted Lasso? I love Ted I Lasso. I just watched it. I'm finally caught up. So like Roy Yeah, Kent, yeah. Right? <laughs> he right. is my favorite character. Absolutely. <laughs> yeah. I don't know what it is about. A, 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 it's not all grumpy guys. But if, if a grumpy guy shows hints of it being a veneer or like being a, you know, like Roy Kent. We all know that he's not really that guy. You know, that's his defense mechanism. And I mean, it's kind of the same thing for Wyatt. So I think that's when, as a reader, you become, or or a watcher, if it's a movie or a TV show, you, you become aware instantly that there's something under, like something beneath the surface. I think that's what's so appealing because it makes you want to know more. Like it makes you want to dig deeper. 
and I think that's what Danny in the book like that's what she realizes pretty quickly too that she doesn't have him as pegged as she thought I think this is actually a really great example of where tropes differ from like stereotypes right because like you get that grumpy guy and you think that they're just the asshole and they're just flat and just gonna be a crank about anything and stomp on whatever you say but then the grump as a trope like it, it's almost inevitable that like with Roy and his his connection with his niece that little girl uh there's there's yeah. always as you were saying like that one thing like that that makes you pretty quickly be like oh okay this is like alert alert good guy here we just have to kind of peel back the layers like that it's the grump with yeah. the heart of gold yeah it, it just makes it so much fun. It's like the uh, like when you get the anti-hero to save the cat sort of thing. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, I think Hildy, who we had on a few weeks ago on the podcast, we were talking about it. Because she takes it a little further than Grumpy. She writes like super alpha men, but she writes historical and it's in Scotland. So it's like a whole mm-hmm. different ballgame. She, and we yeah. talked about how... Like, that wouldn't fly in your real life, but it, it works in historical. It's part of the fantasy. Yeah. But it's just something about being the one that kind of figures out what's going on with the grump and helps their, like, sees their true self that they maybe don't show to everybody else. There's just definitely yeah. something about that. So yeah. do you have, since this is troped out, do you have a, as a reader, a favorite trope? Something that is like an insta buy for you, or something that you look for, or maybe you didn't even know you looked for it, but kind of looking back at your favorite books, it's kind of a, a common thread, or are you just kind of like fair game to every everything? No, I, I definitely think I have some favorites. I think Enemies to Lovers is, you know, one of my favorites. I think this book kind of skirts the maybe enemies to friends to lovers. But I, I like the, I think it goes where the opposites attract. You know, often when you have opposites in a book, it, it, it is like an enemies to lover situation. So I really like that. I also really like when there's an element of fake relationship or forbidden love. Like, and, and there's a very small section of this book that has some of the sneaking around that's necessary. It's not forbidden, maybe, be more frowned upon. Um, but those are probably my favorite tropes. And then I often, I was I was thinking about my favorite books in preparation for this podcast. Awesome. <laughs> uh, just to, in different genres, because I do, I, like I read a lot of different, I, I don't just read one genre. And so I had right. to like write down each different genre, what books I like, and see if they had a common thread that's like why why I like them so much. And I think I, I really, really love underdog stories. Um, and redemption stories, someone who is, you know, counted out by society or their peers or whatever it is in the beginning and how they prove everyone wrong. Um, and I think it's, um, even though Love at First Spite is maybe not that, but Wyatt as a hero has a little bit of, you know, he is not liked by anyone in the beginning. Everyone thinks that he's a certain way. And is hurtful to him, even if that's not something he can, you know, really talk about or admit. And so it has a, you know, his journey as the hero has a little bit of that aspect that he gets um, humanized towards the end or, you know, throughout the journey. Um, 
But yeah, I was looking at movies too, and I think, you know, Forrest Gump and a lot of my favorite movies also have that same trope with the underdog. You know, I never thought of it that way, but these uh, grumpy guy characters that we see come out of their shell throughout romances, um, and other, other genres too, but that is kind of like an emotional underdog story, isn't it? Like, it's the person that's maybe, even if they're technically not like put down on, but they're not right. the person, like you said, like with Wyatt, he's not, doesn't have this huge friend group. Uh, and then by the end, we can kind of see why. So that's very interesting. And they don't really have, they're not really in touch with their feelings in the beginning. I think that's what makes them grumpy too. They need someone to kind of pull them out of their shell a bit and accept them. Usually it's to accept them for who they are. I mean, often that's the shield they put up. Like Roy can too, you know, they, they can't admit to weakness because they have this persona to live up to. And it's the same with Wyatt. You know, he has this very intentional persona he puts on at work to protect himself. And obviously that's not healthy for anyone. <laughs> Do you find any of your, um, is there a common thread? I know you write in several genres as well as read widely, but um, with your writing, is, is there a common thread that you find? Um, I hate to say trope wise, but do you find yourself still drawn to that underdog story and when you write your women? Yeah, underdogs or redemption in some way, you know, makeovers, inner makeovers. Um, I'm trying to think now if there are any obvious comparison points between Love for Spite and these number of days that comes out later in the spring. Because they're, you know, the mood is very different in them. Yeah. But Danny definitely is someone who has to she's working through a lot of stuff and she's working through it in a very, you know, external way, building a house to, it, she's not just like, she's not sitting in an office and just talking it through. And Annie, who's the main character in, in these number days, the inner journey, I, well, but that goes for women's fiction too. That women's fiction kind of by definition is more of an inner journey. So, but it's still a, a makeover. There's different expectations. Yeah. It's still a makeover of itself and, and, working through issues and then maybe rom-com has slightly smaller issues to get over because the focus is on the romance whereas women's fiction there are usually bigger mountains to climb but with annie wolf in these numbered days that is an underdog story too though in its essence right yeah. your main character is an underdog she starts at the bottom right. and has to claw her way back to the top like that's the whole journey but you you really did touch on something interesting there are different expectations in not just romance, but rom-com specifically, and then women's fiction. Because even even in romance across the board, like there's certain things that are expected in every niche, but within each part, then there's smaller subsets. But for rom-com and then women's fiction, I guess it is very yeah. different. The expectations of the, the romance genre is obviously a happily ever after and you know that you tied everything together in a in a neat knot at the at the end. And for me, for my women's fiction, I like to do that with those as well because they are deeper emotional journeys. To me, when I read books, I feel unsatisfied if it's not a happy ending in any genre. I want loose ends tied up and I want I want to feel comfortable putting the book away and going to bed knowing that the characters are fine. You know, so so that's a common thread 
I think for whatever genre I will I'm writing now or will write in the future I don't know that I will ever have dark endings in my book regardless of the emotional depth of the story are there any um differences in the tropes that you like between the genres like is there something that you love in romance but don't really care about in women's fiction or vice versa um well I think my women's fiction since they don't really focus on relationships and I feel like tropes often have to do with the relationships of the story um I don't really see that I would write you know a fake relationship women's fiction book you know because because those the relationships aren't in focus, if that makes sense. So I feel like in general, women's fiction is less tropey. You know, I, I do like to have strong female friendships, regardless of the genre I write. So whether it's rom-com or women's fiction, that's something that my main characters usually have one or a couple really strong female friendships to help in the journey. But I don't know that there's if there are tropes I wouldn't use in my women's fiction, it's not because I wouldn't like it for that. It's just that it doesn't really fit because the romance is secondary. Right. So I think women's fiction, it has tropes, but they're maybe not as in your face. And I think women's fiction, like romance, like, you know, we have romance, we have rom-coms, we have paranormal romance, we have everything. Mm -hmm. I mean, Fifty Shades is considered erotic romance. Like every everything and i think women's fiction is maybe not the breadth of it isn't that fast but we do have women's fiction that is more like beach reads i mean not the book called beach reads right. but <laughs> books you would read on the beach versus more like literary and maybe the closer you get to literary the less tropey it is because i'm sitting here thinking off the top of my head tropes in women's fiction there's a lot of like lifelong friendship uh rich girl poor girl grow yeah. up and haven't seen each other, get back together, that sort of thing. Um, but you're right. Um, the relationships in women's fiction, a lot of it's usually the relationship with the yeah. character, with yeah. themselves, then they're all right. broke. I think, so it's not as I think my women's fiction, if there is a trope for this, I, it's like mother-daughter relationships is something that kind of occurs a lot as, as a centered issue in my women's fiction. And I love my mom, so <laughs> it has nothing to do with that. It is not does not come from my own life but that is something that is a little bit of a red thread i guess which i would not there's maybe a touch of that in the rom-com i mean parental relationships kind of is something that affects everyone listen i feel you i write fantasy and thriller and i have not wrote a book yet not purposely no i do not think this there has not been a decent mother that makes it out alive in like anything Disney. I've read yet to the point my mom is like what the hell are you doing here do we need to tap yeah. like, no it's fine it's fine so do you think outside of your own genre like if you're looking and it can be like with movies or books you know whatever whatever floats your boat is there something outside of romance and outside of women's fiction like a particular trope or I guess I'm just going to say trope that you're drawn to that you um, yourself like, Oh yeah, I want to see that. Like a, an automatic watch or automatic. Yeah. Read. Like some people really love like apocalyptic stories or, you know, um, I don't know that I have that actually. Like, I don't know unless it's an underdog story. I come back to my underdogs again. Like I really like That's okay. an underdog story where 
someone is down and out, rough times in the beginning, and then they are like the celebrated, or not the celebrated, but like they rise above and get acknowledged, like they get their dues at the end in a positive way. So I, I think that is probably my number one catnip for books and movies. Let's ask you this. I, you know, on the opposite end of the tropes that we love is the tropes that we just can't stand. So, you know, we always emphasize we love our authors. It's not about any in particular person. But uh, is there a trope that you are just sick of or just don't get into for some reason? Um, yeah. So when I first started reading romance, you know, as a romance writer or as a writer, um, I enjoyed the alpha hole stories. Um, and as the years have gone on, I, that's kind of worn out with me. And I think it's because I think it's more because I don't like helpless women portrayed in books. I think that's more so than than not liking the alpha holes. Because if it's an alpha hole that has an equally strong female counterpart, then I'm fine with it. Um, but often I feel um, if if it's an alpha hole and a helpless main character woman, I'm not crazy about that. And I think the other thing is, and again, like I, like you said, I respect all authors, and I know that this is a trope that many many readers like. But I will. I have a hard time with the secret baby. You know, if if it's a romance and there are babies and children involved suddenly, then it, that loses. As a mom, you know, the magic goes away. <laughs> so we're laughing yeah. because that's two for two for the second. <laughs> and the other, I think when, once you have kids, it's like yeah, no, 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 no. that's a lot of work. That, I don't. That's want that just in my not romantic. romantic. I'm sorry. <laughs> Maybe before, like if you don't have kids or, or whatever, it, it, you I can don't know. Be fooled. It, it's just it. it's just subjective. One, that doesn't do it for me. <laughs> As the only person here without children, I'm probably not a very diaper. good sampling for this. But no, children are never interesting. The Adam Roberts novel. No, I'm joking. I know a lot of people do love it, and that's great. And that's why there are so many tropes right. and so many subgenres and so many niches because everything isn't for everybody. Uh, but we are just we're laughing because like literally, like our last guest, we're taking like, a stand. Yeah. We found <laughs> our cause as okay. a as a podcast. We're fighting against the secret baby. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Only sex, no consequences. I wonder. Like, I can't wait for somebody to be on here. Yeah. We're gonna have to do like a face off episode or something. The hot debate. (laughs) Yes. Yep. So we wanna play a game with you. Um and basically it's just either or. I'm gonna call the game Troped Out because that's the name of the podcast. So uh we are gonna read you some tropes and you're just gonna tell us which one you like the most. And it can be as a reader, a writer, like however you choose to interpret it. Um, EJ, you want to start? Sure. To start? All right. Think fast. Alien invasion or zombie apocalypse? Uh, zombie ap- apocalypse. Good choice. <laughs> okay. <laughs> and this one is kind of throwing it back to our last guest because these were her two things she writes about. So cowboys or Highlanders? Highlanders. 100%. Mm. <laughs> all the time. Okay. <laughs> nice. Nice. 
Uh, okay, and this is a very good one for a romance author. Fake relationship or sworn off relationships? I have to say sworn off relationships because that is love at ah, first sight. Awesome. I like both though. Oh, that's awesome. Okay, this one is a little different. Do you like a sprawling timeline, like a book that maybe takes place or a story that unfolds over many years or a tight timeline, like that show 24? Uh, tight All timeline. right, last one for you. Uh, this is my favorite one. All right, unreliable narrator or Machiavellian schemer? Ooh. <laughs> I think Machiavellian schemer. Because I, I appreciate smart protagonists that kind of best the other people in mm -hmm. the story. There's something about a puppet master, right? Like, they're going to win no matter what. Right. Have either of you read yeah. The Lifeboat? Mm -mm. Oh my god. Okay, she has both now. of these. Depending on, I guess, how you read between the lines of her unreliable narration. It's really, really good. It's told from the point of view of a young woman who is on trial following some sort of Titanic-like boat sinking. And uh, you start to like get into it and realize like she was on this boat with this man she was going to marry or maybe had recently married. It was very new. And she kind of like unfolds the entire story of how they met and how they got together and it's, it's, like traces their entire relationship and what happened on this boat. And uh, if you take it at face value, then she's this victim of this elaborate thing that happened to her and really loved this man and kind of like got swept away by him. But there's so many different cues in there that you're like, wait, that doesn't make sense at all. What really happened? Like... They do a really good job yeah. of like really subtly folding in all these different questions with the reader. Um, and especially when she's in court, kind of like she's got such an agenda to how she's presenting the story. Mm -hmm. It gets really good really quick. Highly recommend for anyone who loves oh, either an unreliable that. reader or the Machiavellian schemer. You know, yeah, I feel like Gone Girl yeah. could be a little that way, too. Maybe not quite as, un like, it's like that, and then boom, you know what's happening, but it's unreliable, and then you realize exactly who Amy Dunn is. I mean, it's unreliable the first half, right? Because that's Absolutely. when she right. married, and then it's Machiavellian in the second when you know what she's doing. Yeah, because we're getting her journal entries. It's been years, but you're getting her journal entries in the beginning, and it paints her as this type of person. Um, and then realize later that that was on purpose. <laughs> Everything was on purpose. Nothing was not on mm -hmm. purpose. And I'm just get chills because it's my favorite. I need to. Read I'm afraid it. to reread read that one. Like it was such a whammy when you read it the first yeah. time. I'm just like, it's not the same. Right. Now. It's never going to be the same. But yeah. I should reread it because it's so well done. Yeah. But yeah, they are. They're both kind of unreliable. You, even once you know what's going on. Here's my thesis, because. They both have this agenda to how they are portraying the relationship between them to give themselves a little slack. I mean, it starts instantly mm -hmm. with the husband. I don't remember his name, but uh, the husband, since it's told mostly from his point of view at first, and he's trying to convince everybody, including the reader, that he did not kill his wife. And you're just like, yeah, buddy, sure. And 
you know, like, but then even once you get into mm-hmm. um, Amy's head, I feel like she's also, she, her perspective is so colored in how she portrays everything that as much as I love her, still somewhat uh, unreliable. His Nick. Name is Nick. Such a great Nick. name for him. Mm. What a turd. <laughs> Nick. <Brian>. Nick. Amy <laughs> Dunn. Amazing Amy. Yes. <laughs> like, I could talk about this book all day, so. Uh, <laughs> Uh, what was the name? The Lifeboat Good by question. who? Oh, you know what? We'll put it in the show notes. <laughs> Charlotte Rogan. Okay. Yeah. Okay. The Lifeboat by Charlotte Rogan. R-O-G-A-N. And yeah, we'll include the link in the notes. Perfect. And while you're buying books as you're listening to this podcast, you have to get The Spite House by Anna E. Collins. It is a really fun time, but it's also a really great emotional journey pick it up let us know what you yeah. think and again it's called love it first bite <laughs> oh my gosh okay all right you know what you know what well, i hold on i'm gonna explain this for a second <laughs> because i feel like people need to know why i'm calling it the spite house there is a story here we have talked about this book for a year and called it the spite house <laughs> When we talk about it now, we call it the Spite House, but it is Love at First Spite. And that is a <laughs> perfect title. That is a great title. Love at First Spite. It's beautiful. It's blue. <laughs> it's got a hunky architect and a spiteful ex that has every right to her pettiness. So. Yes. <laughs> Anna, why don't you uh, bring us home by telling us where listeners can find you online to follow along with this and your future books? Yes. Yeah, so I'm on Instagram as AEC Creates. So that's probably the best place to find me. Um, and my website is aecollinsbooks.com. Those are the best places to find me. Awesome. And those links are in the notes. Listeners, thanks for coming along. If you like this, please leave a review and subscribe for future episodes. And thank you so much, Anna, for joining us today. It's been a blast. Thank you for having me. Thank you. Thank <laughs> you.